Hi everyone, welcome to Seven Elite Academy online masterclass sessions. Uh, today we are joined by a, a very special guest, uh, an ex-club colleague uh, of mine uh, back from Liverpool Football Club. He's now took his career and journey uh, of this uh, coaching industry over to the States. He's been out there for many years, doing a great job and is currently the technical director uh, at the Seattle Sounders Academy. And that guest is uh, Gary Lewis. Gary, uh, great to see you. It's been a long time and uh, I hope everything's all, all right there. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, no, good to see you and thanks for the opportunity to do this. Uh, hopefully we can share a few stories, that'll be good. And as you say, we go back a long way. Yeah, it has. I think it's kind of nearly nearly 10 years now, Gary, maybe possibly more. Um, but yeah, it's like I said, it's great to have someone like yourself, uh, especially with on these online masterclass sessions we've been having many different guests from different angles of the game. So definitely, um, obviously to all our listeners and watchers, there'll be a lot of benefits to kind of hearing kind of your story and then this masterclass session with yourself from your experience of what you've achieved in England, but also now over in the US, especially with uh, your new gig as the Academy Technical Director at Seattle Sounders. So, but before we, um, we, we, we go on, through some of the stuff back in England. Uh, just tell us uh, a little bit and give the, the listeners a little bit of a, an overview and some of your milestones uh, throughout your journey, Gary. Okay, I'll, I'll try and be as brief as possible. It could be, a, could be a long time, this, especially the age I've got to now. Um, it actually starts on a beach in Jamaica, um, having a few drinks with a, with a lad from Birmingham. And I was working in the credit industry at the time. And he said to me, what's your dream? I said, I want to be a football coach. He said, uh, do it. He said, you get one shot at this life, do it. So I uh, told my wife I'm going to be a football coach. And, and off I went. So, yeah, I, wrote to, I, wrote, I initially wrote to Liverpool. Um, I, I didn't have a coaching qualification. And uh, Stuart Gelling brought me in. Stuart, Couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah, Stuart brought me in and just said, look, he said, we haven't got any, any opportunities here. He said, but I really like the way you wrote the letter and uh, I'll keep an eye on you. So I went away, did uh, some coaching badges and... Um, Started Vauxhall Motors, so non-league. Uh, didn't get paid for that. Cost me a fortune to work there. <laughs> and um, did the UEFA B license. Wrote to Stuart again. He brought me in. He said, uh, "Still nothing for you, sorry." Um, and we just chatted for an hour in the lecture theatre. Yeah. And then we got to families and stuff. He said, "You know what? He said, I'm going to give you a go." He said, "We've got a development centre opening up in in Manchester. Would you believe?" And he said, "To work with the six six and seven year olds. Would you fancy doing that?" Said, yeah, of course. And then he gave me some old kit. I'll never forget it. Some old Reebok Liverpool kit. I stood in the uh, stood in the toilet uh, in the mirror with, with my new kit on, feeling as proud as anything for now representing Liverpool. And then that's that's where it took off. Um, yeah, and it, I, just just to kind of be brief about it, I, I did the UA for A license. I was working with the still working with the six and sevens. Went into Phil Roscoe. I said, look, Phil, I've got my UA for A license now. How do I get an academy team? He said, leave. So I did, I left. Yeah, I went to Derby County with the under-14s. Had a few years there. Uh, Everton then offered me an opportunity after we played them. Um, so again, went there for a few years, worked with some really talented people, talented coaches and players. And then I was in a college one morning and um, I got a phone call from Liverpool just saying, look, we, we know you're the Red. We know you've done well you know, uh, in your previous clubs. Would you consider coming back? I said, uh, yeah, I will crawl down the M57 on my hand and knees for this opportunity. 
So I, I took it. I, took, I went back and took the under-13s, which was you know, Jordan Roster, Harry Wilson, Ryan Kent, Tom Brewitt, Andy Firth. They've all gone on to do really well, these boys. And it was just a, a brilliant year. Me and Dave Rowe taking that team. Yeah, really good year for us. Yeah, you know, yeah that, that's interesting because you, you've kind of rolled it all back. It was pretty much the, the same ordeal for myself. Stewie Gellin, um, Carl Robbo invited me in. Um, and when you got that kind of bin bag of kit, or, it was like Christmas Day, wasn't it, Gary? It was like, oh, you, you couldn't be any prouder and just to kind of get home, open the bag, see all the, uh, the kits kind of spill out of it. And you just uh, you just wanted to put it on, didn't you? And, and kind oh, of yeah, get out yeah. there and... What a, what a moment that was. Like I said, I'll never forget them days. And it's brilliant to kind of hear you kind of go through the, the same situation. So what you've just said there, Gary, which I really applaud uh, yourself and other coaches that do that, is where you're in a situation where you want to kind of stay at the club, you want like a, you know, a position at that club, but for whatever reasons, it's just not there at that particular time. And like with Phil Roscoe saying to you, we'll leave. Um, I do question how many would actually leave and just maybe stay and just kind of be in a comfort zone and, you know, four or five, potentially ten years down the line, you know, many staff could be in the same position where they could have gone and tested and challenged themselves and gone elsewhere and and, uh, and kind of earn more stripes along the way. So to hear you obviously kind of do that, doing that kind of gig at Derby County, I'm sure kind of put you in good stead and give you the experience needed then to come back to Liverpool and making you a kind of a better person, a better coach because of it. Yeah, but you're so inexperienced, that's the thing. You know, it was 90 miles to Derby and I'm doing that four days a week. And again, even though I worked at Vauxhall Motors for no money, the actually my salary at Derby was just the mileage. That was pretty much it. I didn't earn any money again. So I was working of a day and having to drive to Derby of a night, you know, a couple of hours down the M6, which was tough. But um, it was a good, good education because Kevin Thelwell was the academy director and he just took me for my UEFA license. And then he left the FA and went to Derby as academy director. And he, he offered me the under 14. So it was really coach education based. So he'd watch the sessions from a coach educator point of view, which was brilliant for me. Yeah. And then he'd come and watch the games. And he'd look at how the team was set up and, did, and different solutions. And he'd just write a report on how you conducted yourself. Mm. So, from a, again, just from a coach education point of view, it was, it was first class. And he'd always come back. And I remember we played there. Uh, so, I'm, I'm now an academy coach. And, again, I'm delighted. You know, I've, I've made it. Under 14 coach at Derby County. In my mind, I've made it, you know. And uh, we played Crew Alexandra first game. Dario Grady was the manager. He used to take the first team and the under 14s. And they beat us 6-0. And we literally just got picked off. And I went home that night and I thought, I'm out of my depth here. And I wrote, I must have wrote about 10 pages of what happened in the game. I thought that will never happen again to me. You know, it's, again, it's just these learning, you know, the learning opportunities you get here against the really established. He probably coached about a thousand games by then, Dario Grady. We couldn't get near them. Yeah, well, again, it's the experiences, you know, that you pick up along the way, Gary, that kind of put you in good stead for the future, I imagine. But while we've kind of touched upon um, your, kind of your days at, at Liverpool in particular, and you just mentioned it about that, that kind of first team that you took when you, when you came back, which was a, which was a very good age group, by the way. Uh, Rossiter, uh, Harry Wilson, Tom Brewer, uh, Ryan Kent, and, and obviously Fairfi as well. Um, and to kind of see them where they are now, 
and I'm obviously with the other age groups that you took along the way, they'll probably be coming to ages, and obviously that age group in particular is at an age now where they're, they've, they're, they're playing professional, them players that we've just talked upon. But there's other ages that you've talked that are recently kind of getting pro deals, had one or two appearances for, for Liverpool. As a youth developer, Gary, and, and as a big Liverpool supporter as well, uh, how how like satisfying is that to kind of for you to 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 where you are and some of the input that you've had in their kind of lives to to see those type of players kind of get the rewards uh, so far? Yeah, you, you don't really see it when you first start because the journey's so long. Um, I just I just like to go back to just the introduction I had when I when I came back into Liverpool. And um, Pep Segura and Rodolfo Barella just come in, and as you know, Rodolfo's yeah. right hand man to Guardiola now, and Pep's—I think Pep's sporting director now at FC Barcelona. So you know, two highly qualified people. And um, I'd always put sessions on in the past where I needed the session to look good. Um, I didn't really understand why I was doing it, but it needed to hit certain things, you know, from a technical point of view. But it just didn't relate to anything, but it looked great. And then Pep, Pep actually changed span the whole thing around for all of us. He just said, no, we start with the end in mind. And that'll come up again again later in this conversation. What does the game look like? And then work our way back. So we weren't allowed to waste a session. Every every technical session had to relate to the game. Yeah. So even if you're doing like a diamond passing session, you have to incorporate the centre-back, the right-back, the wide player coming in off the line. Um, everything was, was based around patterns. So we'd literally be on the front foot with our coaching. So that when we actually played on a Saturday or a Sunday, everything would come off. And it was such a privilege to watch these movements coming off and the opponents just chasing shadows. They, they couldn't really follow what we were doing because it was so new in them days. We were, everything was triggered. And when you come to America, the difference I feel when I first came here was um, if, if the players weren't involved in the game, they were just disengaged. So if the ball was going down the right side, the left wing is disengaged because he's thinking, this isn't anything to do with me. Whereas with Pep, everyone was involved. So if everybody bounced each other into their different places. Yeah. So yeah, it's really privileged to walk into that, that dressing room with them players and then work in these patterns, you know, work in these kind of, work in this way with this group, just provided them with an education as well. So then you, you, all you're thinking about then is actually just producing sessions and winning games on a Sunday because you still want to yeah. win. Even though, you know, I hate this thing about, you know, winning's not important. It is. It's really important, and the boys want to win. And there's no league tables, but every time them boys, they were so competitive. And then the, the feeling you get of winning a game is great as a coach, but nothing like you know watching the boys walk out at Anfield or or Century Link Field here now. The, the feeling, the tears in your eyes, the goosebumps you get when you see a player you've worked with walk out onto a, onto a first team stage. You can't. You couldn't buy that. It's it's a fantastic feeling as a coach. And let me just just. It's really important for me to say that it's not just the coaches that are in, involved in this. It's everyone. It's people who drive them in, the cleans, the laundry, the the rest, the other guy, like Martin, and the, and the cafe doing all the meals for the boys. The, all these people are integral to these to these kids getting through. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. It's it's all there. It's like we we always talk about, don't we? The like the one percent and and the people that kind of help them one percent uh, for our players to kind of push themselves and 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 hit the limits that uh, the club requires, whatever club it is, and so on. But yeah, you you you're massively spot on, Gary. And you just mentioned something before about and again, 
we're talking about influencers here and you've, you've just mentioned two, you know, well, very, very well respected, uh, obviously coaches within the youth game in particular and now obviously at the professional level um, with, with Rodolfo, uh, Burrell and, and Pep Segura. Would they, would they two massive inf influences on your uh, coaching journey, Gary? And uh, if, was there anyone else out there that kind of shaped you in kind of being the coach uh, you are today? Yeah, so, so Pep taught us why, which I didn't understand. He, he taught us the why of coaching. You do this because. Um, and then he'd, he'd come into your sessions, he'd appear all the time, even when you were on field four in the dark, you know, right down the bottom of the academy, all of a sudden he'd appear from nowhere and he'd say, Gary, no, this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit with our methodology and our game model. Or, or other times he'd say, no, this is very rich in detail. Yeah. The other thing that he did in the Premier League Academy system, they used to keep two Sundays open for staff training days, two, two blank weekends, where everyone would go in and you get trained by your technical director. And Pep said, no, we're going to take that Sunday off so you can spend the time with your family. But every Tuesday we'll do a staff development night. And he, and he stuck to that. So that's what he taught us. Um, and it was, just, it was just fascinating to see, to see how he worked. Rodolfo was different. Rodolfo was more on the field, whereas Pep was more like a strategist. Rod, Rodder was a, a, a top, top coach in terms of detail and the simplicity in his detail was a genius for me. Nice. Every single thing he spoke about was just like, it was so obvious, but you never ever thought about it. Yeah, yeah I remember going in, we, we used to go in on a Wednesday, me and Torp, she used to go to Melbourne on a Wednesday morning and Brendan was brilliant with us. Brendan Rogers, he used to, he'd, he'd welcome us and, and let us watch first team training. And I stood with Rodder one morning and we were watching, uh, he was working on uh, the midfield. It was Lucas Laban, Stephen Jarrett in the middle. And just the relationships in terms of defending. So Rodder says to me, um, How, would you do this any differently? I said, yeah, I'd probably add the 10 in. I said, just because like, the relationship should include the third midfielder. Yeah. He said, deliver it tonight. He said, you deliver it tonight at the academy. He said, now come and watch. So uh, we go out, I'll never forget. Pouring with rain. Frank McParlin came out to watch. Uh, so pressure was on. I got Rodder and Frank watching the session. Within five minutes, Rodo said, no, no, no. And he walked in, took over. Right. And sorry, it blew us away. He was unbelievable, the level of detail. And then we were walking back down that long path, back to the building. And Frank McParland put his arm around me. He said, uh, he's the best you'll ever see him, mate. Yeah. I think as well with the, the detail, we talk about kind of sim simplicity is key. But I think as well, the timing of when you give that kind of, you know, whatever it is, that little sweet, sweet spot of information and communication is, is probably just as important. And yeah, looking back and, and seeing them sessions and seeing how he kind of conducted himself on the pitch, he had a real, and it is, it's a, it's a, it's a skill. You know, yeah. people, it's, it's something that, again, comes with experience. I think Gary and, and uh, Rodolfo just had that skill about him to kind of simplicity and, and timing was was brilliant um, and, you, and you, you talk about kind of the CPD there again for our listeners and uh, for, for, for the viewers of this masterclass uh, session how is, and how important was it to continue to have that CPD with yourself because Many may think, well, you're at Liverpool Football Club, you're at the best, you're there for the reason, because you must be a very good coach, but just kind of feeding your, your needs with that continuous CPD. Uh, how important is that for yourself and to kind of keep yourself grounded and, and knowing more to kind of better yourself and to better your players? 
Yeah, it's it's massively important. I've I've done something every single year uh, in terms of CPD. I've I've been on to not just coaching courses courses. I went to the leaders conference in New York a couple of yeah. years ago, and that was we were you know people from business and finance, and then uh, a paratrooper was in there. There was a guy from NASA talking about the satellites. You know how they actually uh, the communication breakdown at NASA. Um, so yeah, just keeping yourself kind of current with with everything is is really important. But they they just educate, and we weren't great coaches at the time. We were we were still a learner, and even from like a coach education point of view, you learn so many things. You, you get UA. So my first getting that, as you say, the bin bag full of kit, you think you've made it. Then I go to Derby, I think I've made it. Then I get a UEFA A license. Wow, I've made it. Well, no, you got your UEFA A license means you're licensed to coach now. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're a great coach. It means that, right, you've got you've got the license now to go out there and learn learn more. So that was I just learned how to pass a course. That was all. I didn't yeah. understand how to coach. And then Pep and Rodolfo taught me how to coach. Um, so no, it's it's massively important just to keep yourself educated. And this this thing that's going around about fixed and and growth mindsets. It's really important to have a growth mindset. Yeah. Just continually involve about the game. And if I mean we'll get into the Seattle Sounders stuff in a bit, but I've walked into that building thinking I knew a lot. And then got slapped in the face at Seattle Sounders by the by the level, yeah. the level of detail. Yeah, yeah. And we'll go into that a little bit later. Yeah, but it was, it's honestly it's fascinating. We haven't got to America yet, have we? No, no. We'll, we'll come on. We're still still on Liverpool, but yeah, I think you you bang on, Gary. I think my my opinion on especially qualifications. It's not to say how good of a coach you are. I think it's kind of just to kind of show a level of the 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 progression and the standards where you are. But that still comes with. There's so much more to learn, and I think the higher you go with your qualifications, I think you, me personally, I think you get more frustrated because I think it's it get, you get to a level and you think, God, I, I need to know a lot more than what I really should to, to be at this level. And I think obviously it's good that courses may, you know, keep you well, yeah, you you're at a license or B license, but I think anything about a, a good course, you should be walking away qualified but still knowing that you've got to do a, a, an awful lot more to to kind of get to the level of uh, where, where you, you definitely want to be but back to yourself Gary with Liverpool Football Club and it's not happened not happened once it's happened twice with yourself now and, and knowing just how much of a Liverpool supporter you are and it's in your blood how hard you know was it and, and has it been to not only kind of walk away once but twice to kind of take opportunities elsewhere to, to kind of favour your kind of career within the game yeah well it stays in your blood yeah it doesn't leave you yeah um, and it's just a, it's a career you know you, my, my heart will always be Liverpool it's never going to go away that. Um, but my head was career based and mm-hmm. and it's just interesting that when I look back to the time we had there now I don't think there's anybody left there everyone's gone yeah. You know, I think there's only probably Phil Roscoe that's still there from the from the early days. So the, the transition in these places is unbelievable. Even the Philadelphia Union a couple of years ago, there's a, another turnover of staff there. It just evolves yeah. the game. Different people come in. And, um, no, it's. I think when you when you're at a club and and you obviously respect the club so much and you love the place and it's it's so difficult to walk away. But that opportunity at Derby gave me a chance to get on the ladder. Which I wasn't going to get at Liverpool because it was inexperienced. Uh, then get the opportunity to come back again was was just you know it was 
yeah, it was a, it was a teary moment, you know, and uh, and I had the teary moments again when I left. Um, but we there was a, again there was a big change. Rodolfo moved on, Frank moved on, Pepe gone back to Spain. Um, Alex come in, Alex Inglethorpe come in, and we just um, because I was so ingrained in in what we were doing, I couldn't I couldn't see the change working for me with Liverpool. And me and Alex had a had a chat, and he just said, Gary, he said I can't have somebody in a key position like this, just not agreeing with kind of the game model. I said I agree, Alex. I said, it's not right for the players. So we, we agreed just to call it a day, you know. Uh, I got an opportunity to come to America then. But no, it, it broke my heart that day. Alex, I was in Frank's old office and there was a picture of Stephen Jarrett with the yeah. Champions League and Jamie Carragher on the other wall. And I'm looking out at the 10, 10 immaculate grass fields. And Alex had walked out to get the HR, HR manager. And um, the tears just ran down my face. I'm thinking, you worked so hard to get here. And yeah. now it's gone. You know, it was such a, it was t- really tough moments. Yeah. Sorry, it's you up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling it myself. You, you're taking me back to my own experience here, Gary. <laughs> but uh, I know I could completely sympathise with, uh, with your feelings on that one. You know, just being part of that club and being part of it for so many years. And it, that's, that's the effect it has on you. you it's your childhood club. You, you dream of being part of that club from the day dot whether it's uh, dreaming of being a football player or if not, the next best thing is, is being a coach, in my opinion. And um, But yeah, it's yeah definitely. And it's I really appreciate your honesty and just how sincere you are with, with what you're saying here, Gary, because this is, uh, it is, it's honest, isn't it, what you're saying? But, um, but we'll move on from that, Gary, <laughs> before we get the Kleenex out <laughs> for the pair of us. But, <laughs> but okay, so the US then. US, great opportunity come along. Tell us then about considering a position to, to, to make the leap over the Atlantic and, and take a, a huge opportunity in the US because I'm sure it's not just a career-based uh, kind of consideration. I'm sure obviously there's so many factors and I know that me, myself, I am sure you know family and, and everything else all comes into play with that, Gary. So tell us a little bit about kind of the considerations and, and how it all come about. Yeah, we, well, we had, a, we had a house in Florida for a long time, so I've, I've always loved America and always wanted to come over here. Um, probably uh, came sooner rather than later, um, just with the with the changes at Liverpool, and and then get the opportunity to come over here is it, life changing, and you're really not sure what you're walking into because you keep hearing uh, like the American player, oh no, they're just physical and they can run a lot. There's not really much talent there, you know. They don't really understand the game, which is so far off. It's so far off the truth. But that was the mindset I came over with, and I also thought about the coaches in the US, thinking, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be ahead of them. Um, they, uh, they, they are yellers, as people say. I remember a parent saying to me in the first few weeks, "You don't yell at the boys." I said, "No, I, I, I teach them." <laughs> yeah, they yeah. actually wanted, they wanted me to yell. That's the difference between a good and a bad coach. A good one yells. Yeah. That's how they feel, yeah. If you're not yelling, you're not doing your job. But it was it was more about an education for me and teaching the players what I wanted. And they, even though the, the you know the training sessions are where you teach, the, on the Saturdays where you see your results come out, and results as in what you taught in the week should come out on Saturday. So I shouldn't still be playing PlayStation with the players. I want to see what what work I put into them. So no, it was it was a it was a great opportunity to go to Philadelphia. I went into a pretty new club of Philadelphia Union, um, MLS club. Only been around around since 2010, so 10 years in existence. You know, it's, it's unbelievable to think about. But a great club, 
And the difference I had there was we were like building it. So we were building the game model and the curriculum and the philosophy. So I had an integral part in that because of the experience I had. But I wasn't really learning. I was, I was teaching more so. So I had nobody above me. Where, where I always, I'd always had like Kevin Thelwell at Derby and then uh, Neil Dewsnip and uh, Sean London at Everton and then Rodolfo and Pep. So I'd had a fantastic education. And then come here, I'm like, okay, so now I'm actually, it's going the other way and I'm teaching. Yeah. I'm not learning. So that was, that was a different experience. And so I had five, five really good years there at, at Philly yeah. Union. Yeah. Um, and again, we produce players, four players in the first team now. So it, it, was, it was good. Great. Let's talk about the player then, Gary. Um, about like, let's, they, they all kind of, your surprises then. Because a bit like myself, I, I went over there as a, a little bit of a blank canvas, to be honest, and I'm sure you, you did yourself. And although you kind of you hear things for yourself and definitely the physicality, I always heard that, yeah, the players are a lot more physical, fitter, stronger, more endurance about them. Um, but then, again, actually seeing it for myself, the, the credibility around, especially the, the technical part of their game, definitely surprised me. The girls' side completely surprised me, and that was something new to me completely. Uh, I've never obviously coached girls before. And was there any big surprises for you, Gary, when you went over there around the, the player or players and your teams uh, from like the initial kind of first year that you were out there? Yeah, so the, the first year we had... Um... We have a school at Philadelphia Union, so we I was on site. So we had seventy six boys in the school. Uh, we train eight times a week, which is which was new to me. We did we did six at Liverpool, we did eight at Philadelphia. So four mornings, four afternoons. It was it was a lot. The access to the players was unbelievable. You know, as I say, they're in our school anyway. Um, but the, the the level the level of um, <clears throat> conduct that you see from these boys, they're just desperate to learn. And at Liverpool, there was always something going on. You know, with the players, you know, I've spoken before about Trent and stuff like that, you know, being being difficult to work with and different players who were, there was always something going on. Yeah. We had players from Manchester and Liverpool all fighting with each other overnight. But when you come here, everything's yes, coach, no problem, coach, I'll do that, coach. You do the move, I did the movement patterns. And so I'm just bringing stuff over from Liverpool. And I do, say I do three times three minutes. The first few are all coach led A to B to C to D. And then the last part, I say to the players, right, go on, show me something. Maybe, well, what do you mean? Well, no, you show me some creativity now. You show me your imagination. Well, we don't know what to do. So it was trying to, it was trying to build that chaos into the session where they yeah. could have a free run because a lot of the sports here are coach-led. And that's what they were used to. So it was, that, was, that was tricky to begin with, to, to allow them to have some freedom. Um, again, going back to the... You know, making sure every player is engaged in the game. You know, the what ifs. You know, what if the ball breaks down here? How do we counter press? Just from a teaching point of view, that was that was really important for me. So everything and the difference between and the, and the states. Obviously, there's 50 states and there's 50 different countries really in America. So to go from the east coast to the west coast for me, you know, two and a half thousand miles again. Which I've done from Liverpool to Philly, two and a half thousand, and then another two and a half thousand miles again. Um, I've gone from yes, coach in Philadelphia to Seattle as Y coach. Okay. Yeah, very cerebral city. Very cerebral city. Um, you've got Microsoft, Boeing, Amazon, very educated parents, and the, and the players are the same. And they would question everything. Why? That's interesting, isn't it? Because I was going to ask you then, can, before you jumped onto the two and a half hours and going more west, I was going to bring it back to the east and, and compare... 
the, the, the UK player to the US player. I've got a, like, a bit of an opinion on myself and you kind of touched upon it there where you were saying it was like the, to the yes coach and sometimes as a coach you, you're looking for maybe some kind of something outside the box thinking wise and or a reaction if someone got smashed you may want to see like I don't know a little bit of the reaction I think from where we've kind of come from in the academy and the, some of the players especially that come from the urban communities of Liverpool and Manchester you know you're going to get something some brilliant or a reaction Tell us then about, like, I'm intrigued and like to, to find out a little bit more on why that is possibly so between the two different kind of players from the East Coast to the West. Yeah, let me let me finish off with Philadelphia because um, just to, just on your point really about um, the decision-making within a game. So everything was yes, coach, and they do everything for you. So I get my first experience in New York Red Bulls and, and nobody gives me the heads up. So, and it also coincided with a US Academy Directors course going on at the same time. So we had the majority of the Academy Directors in the US come to our facility to watch my game. Okay. And the idea was that they, they come in to watch the team talk at the start. Yeah. And then I have to do a post-match interview with all these directors. So the team I had were flying, really talented. We go in against New York Red Bulls. I'm, I'm a possession-based coach. I like, I like the team to have the ball. Um, and we're, we're all set up to play out of the back and this storm hit us from New York Red Bulls they literally just punch you right in the face and within 20-25 minutes we were 3-0 down um, because we just couldn't get out yeah. they, they're kind of their, their game model is, is really this high press yeah. uh, right in your face they lock it the, the, the whole model is based on locking you into areas where they're going to win the ball off you They'll even give the ball back to you to press you again. That's how ruthless they are, but I didn't know. And right. the boys just kept on playing out from the back. And just to go back to your point, yeah. I'm saying the game didn't offer us this. The game offered us something else. You know, the, the old ads, you can go around and through them or over them. It was, it was showing us we needed to go over them. We needed to get over the press because we couldn't get out. Block. Yeah, play over the block. Yeah. But, we, but the boys didn't recognise that and just kept doing the same thing. And then it was just bang, bang, bang. We were just getting punched in the face. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was interesting, really, from that point of view, to see the game understanding from the players. Because I told them to play off the back. That's what they were doing. I walk into Seattle. And I'll try, I'll try and link this a little bit to coach education. So, I delivered a, a C licence. Okay? So, Sunday morning, these coaches walk in to do their C licence. And they know everything about soccer. Mm -hmm. By Friday of that week, they realised they knew very little about soccer. They were in a better place when they first walked in than when they left. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> because, and it goes back to your first, you know, your initial comments. The, the more you learn, the less you know. Yeah. And it talk, you talk about these conscious, conscious competencies and unconscious things that you do automatically with driving the car and stuff. I've got to a stage now where I kind of know what I don't know. Yeah, whereas I used to know what I know, now I know what I don't know, <laughs> you know? So I've walked into Seattle thinking, yeah, okay, I've had a decent career. I've been at some really good clubs, worked with some great people, and I can, I can, I can help out here with Seattle. And they've just, they just been the national champions. they just won a generation of the Divas Cup. Got two players uh, just signed to the first team, and they've won the MLS Cup. So I've walked into a great environment. And again, talking about getting punched in the face, the level of detail they go into here, 
just it's it'll take it'll take such a long time. But what they did was it was Chris Little, Magnus Nichols. They looked at all the all the scenarios that go on around the world. So whether it's a high press or a mid block or a low block, and each each scenario on the field. And what they did was they said it, it comes up the same thing just keeps coming up. There's, there's very little changes within a game, so they based the whole game model around solutions. So if you're faced with this, this is what you do, and that's how we coach. So just as an example, uh, right back and winger attacking mm-hmm. in a two v two situation. We, get the, we may get the right winger just to run and unbalance the back line and bring the 10 over, so we have a plus one. Yeah. When we're playing out from the back, we have a plus one. So if we're up against one striker or two strikers, we just add an extra player to it. It's all solution-based. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And then they looked at data, which I've never I've, I've had to evolve as a coach over the years. But they looked at the, the likelihood of you scoring from across outside the box is about 0.4%. So they stopped crossing from outside the box. They crossed from within the box. And guess what happened? <laughs> they started scoring more goals. Yeah, and then they looked at the arcs. We arced off the penalty area yeah. to five arcs. And then we looked at Man City and Liverpool. And from arc one, which is around the six-yard box, Liverpool and Man City scored nearly nearly 50% of the goals from arc one. Yeah. So cross from inside the box and get it to arc one. You know, and you're going to yeah. score more goals. And and so, it sounds like a little bit like Moneyball here, doesn't it, with the data, bringing all the data in and, and putting figures in front of you to, to, to kind of work and to counteract against others, but also to shape your own kind of principles of play. Um, yeah, but there's still a game model. Sorry, there's, there's, there's still a game model. There's still a way we want to play. Yeah. And I, I, I've listened to loads of podcasts, and it's funny, I spoke to Dan Locke, who's moved over to Charlotte now. And he said, you know, you hear all these podcasts about philosophies and nobody ever talks about scoring goals. They all want to, they all want to play through the back and, and, and play through the units. And, but they never ever talk about scoring goals. It's the most important part of the game. So we, we've emphasized, you know, a plan. Yeah, and it makes sense. And, it's, and, and then how do you relate that to a player? We, we've broken that into like A, B and C shots. So an A shot, you're an arc one, you're on your strongest foot, goalkeeper to B to shoot your B, your B chance is you're on your strongest foot. You may have a defender, but you can see fifty percent of the goal shoot. Yeah, yeah. You didn't, do you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. and that's how you relate to your players. So again, just a little bit to what you kind of you picked up at Liverpool from kind of seeing the game from the uh, from the end point of view and, and working it back with into your practice, see your players that it relates to, and so on. So no, it's it's. Brilliant to hear this, and it's it's a great insight to how kind of Seattle operates as well, and probably a lot different to, to many other clubs that I know of. Anyway, in particular, I'm sure yourself, Gary. Um, but to, going back to the uh, the, the UC license, uh, so for the people that don't know, Gary also is a US Soccer Federation uh, tutor for the C license courses as well. How long have you been doing that now, Gary? A couple of years. Uh, yeah, a couple of years. Yeah. Yes. How have you how have you found it? Obviously, with the comparison to the English FA stuff, to doing it with the US Soccer Fed. I um, it was really important for me, even though I'd done my qualifications in England. It was important for me to start again here. So I did the B license, the US B license in in Florida when I first came, and then I did the A license, A license youth course in Houston. And I walked in pretty sceptical. I'm thinking, I've heard, I haven't heard good things about this. Uh, you need to sell this to me. 
So uh, I sat back and just waiting for them to kind of, you know, let, let's just see what you've got here, you know. And a guy called Didier Chambaran um, stood up and he spoke about topics. He said, there's two topics. You have the ball and you don't have the ball. There's your topics. And he said, we must start with the end in mind. And that was it. The light bulb went on my head. Then I'm like, oh, okay, I've heard this before. This guy's for real, you know. And I'll tell you what, he was magnificent as a, as a coach educator. Brilliant. Absolutely top, top. And again, I, I keep going back. It's so fortunate to be, to be around these people. And I've kept in touch. We speak regularly now with Didier. And, and just the, from an education point of view, he's, he's top. Absolutely top. The, the worry I have with it is, and I'll, I'll kind of counteract this, too many people pass the course. Um, whereas when you pass your UA for A license, it really meant something. You know, yeah. it was like it was a massive achievement and, and you had to fight again. You had to, but here it's a little easier. And I kind of I contradict myself because once you've got your US A license, then go and learn. So like, even though it means a lot to you, don't. I just don't want people to go away thinking they've cracked it because they've got an A license. Yeah. You know, when you first get your driving license, I know it's a bit of a cliche, it doesn't mean you can go and drive Formula One. It means you've, you've got a license to go and drive your car now. Now you're going to learn. Yeah. I think you your... know, in America, with the, with the pay-to-play model, and there's, there's a lot of systems that support the higher qualified that you are, the, the more money you're potentially entitled to as well, which, again, doesn't doesn't help the system or the motives behind in, in the, 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 the genuine of why you're getting your badges and so on. Um, but I think it's, I think that's kind of happening a little bit worldwide with some of the top associations now, Gary, where a lot of the courses now are more of a, a guidance and a support rather than like a bit of an assessment at the end, um, which, oh my God, going back to the early days of that, late 90s, 2000s, trying to get your, your level 2C license here in, in England was, was a nightmare. Yeah, I think only maybe 10% would, would come away with the, the qualification. But So with you actually doing the courses and probably coming across more coaches than ever when you, when you are delivering these, and you touched upon a little bit earlier about one of the courses in particular where they walked away probably in a, in a, in a worse position than what they did when they walked in. Uh, is the, is the optimism around the, the US coaching and so on. And I, I do see a lot of fantastic coaches myself in the US, some really good, genuine, honest. And I think that's probably a big one for me, uh, what I do like to see in coaches in the US in particular, someone that's really honest about their own kind of strengths, improvement areas, um, where they are in the game and, and some of the things that they need to achieve to, to progress. I think that's probably the biggest thing for me when um, I'm, I'm looking for coaches in particular or picking. What's probably the, the big thing for yourself, Gary, when you are delivering these C-licensed courses, co- coaching courses um, in terms of kind of strengths and, and kind of optimism for the game in the US? Yeah, just from the, well, the US, the USDA as it was, uh, the, the coaches, fantastic. US, US coaches uh, work with a, a guy now, Michael Morris, who's, who takes our U19s at, at the Sounders. I mean, high level. Really high level. He, he could he could grace any field anywhere in the world. This lad, he's, he's fantastic. So the the education's out there, and because it's such a global game now, and you can get access to anything, that's that's been a game changer. I mean, go, going back to Florida, maybe twenty years ago, you couldn't even get a newspaper. You couldn't even find out what what happened anywhere else in the world. 
But now, I mean, especially with the times, we can get the Premier League now on a Saturday morning and watch every game. Yeah. So the players know everything. So they're just modelling themselves on these things. And the coaches are doing the same. The, the coaches just, um, they just need to just keep soaking it up and learning and not try to jump the levels too quickly. I hear people do the, the C licence. They walk into a club and all of a sudden they want the under-17s job. It's, it's a process, just, just learn. You know, like going back to me driving 90 miles to Derby and stuff, it was just a learning process. And you have to put yourself out a little bit. And then going into Liverpool, I used to just sit in the grass verge of the pad and just watch all the coaches and the mannerisms, what they spoke about. And this, was before, this one I was coaching the seven-year-olds. I used to just yeah. sit and write, 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 and just learn. How does he walk? You know, how does he conduct himself? The coach, what's what's he saying? I was fascinated by it, and I offer that to coaches over here, and no one ever shows up, no one ever comes. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I don't know if that's because just the time. Like a lot of the coaches here, as you mentioned before, it's a business, and they've got like three three teams, which is yeah. it's tough. They're not giving a great quality of service if you give, if you've got three teams. That's hard. That's hard to get your head around that. It's not giving a good quality of service. Yeah. But yeah, it, the, the future's one. great. Yeah, yeah that, that was a big one for me, Gary, when I come over just seeing some coaches with four. I think there was one or two that had five. And like, it's it's hard enough with one when you, when you want to do the best job that you possibly can. And that, but yeah, definitely so, Gary. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's right. No, no, the level of the level of coaching here is is very high, and there's and there's a place for everyone here. You know, if you want to coach on the travel teams, or you want to coach the young ones and be a specialist in that, or you want to get into the pro environment, it takes time, and and just keep getting told no. That's what happened to me many times. I got told no, and I just kept hearing challenge, and I'll I'll just keep fighting until give until you can give me a chance. You know, you've got to keep going and keep educating yourself, and and it, and it goes back to. Your knowledge is really important, but the person you are and the environment you create for your players is that's what I've learned more than anything over the years. It's not the X's and O's, as they say, it's the environment you create that makes you a good coach. Yeah, and it's an interesting one is because we, we talk about kind of cultures, uh, kind of in, inheriting uh, the culture that you kind of live in and the city that you live in and the values and you know, what, what kind of values that the, the city kind of persists. I think that's always a kind of big factor in the people within the city, um, which you kind of then, you know, want to kind of integrate, your, let's say, your, your principles of play, your philosophy, and into what, the, what the, the people are all about. And I think definitely it's a little bit kind of chalk and cheese, isn't it, from your, your culture back in England to some of the cultures that you come across in the US and you're trying to compromise with mixing the two, uh, because you know if you can if you can do that, then you can you can move mountains. I think, uh, especially with the US. And how hard then is is that being for yourself, then Gary? With let's say kind of culture in in terms of implementing your your beliefs and philosophy, let's say on the game, based on where you've come from and. And, and, and the positions that you've kind of been in in the, in the last kind of few years as kind of, you know, very senior roles within the youth game in the US? Yeah, the, the, the landscape's changing a little bit, even you know, in terms of banter and stuff. You know, some of the things that, that we, we spoke about in Liverpool, you know, with, it was just, uh, you think now you, you wouldn't get away with that now, you know, but it was kind of the norm then. Yeah. I was speaking to Dave Rowe, actually, and we were talking about the benches at Liverpool and... Um, you remember the benches where the balls used to go and stuff. And 
all the coaches used to sit there and then the players would have to come in through reception and then downstairs and they just get destroyed. You know, the players, because all the coaches and they were dreading it, the boys. But that was that was creating a culture for us then. You know, it was just it was it was exciting for them. Even though they say they hated it, they all they all still speak about it, you know, oh, I used to make going past the benches. And then you, you come over here and and culture was a PowerPoint slide for me over here at the start. It, it, it didn't mean anything. It, it was like, to, oh, we'll, we'll show you our culture. Come and watch this presentation. No, culture's a feeling. It's, it's, it's how you feel when you walk into a place. And I felt, that, I felt that at Liverpool when I first went in there, there was a warmness about the place. There was something special that grabbed you. And Philadelphia Union was the same. I felt the same when I walked in there. And I invited two coaches up from Delaware into Philly. And we took them, I took them unannounced, completely unannounced. All the boys shook hands with them, introduced themselves. We went into the school. One of the boys said, uh, oh, do you mind if I show your guests around the school? I'm like, no, great. He goes off and does that. The head teacher spoke to them. Everybody in all the departments all spoke to these, these guys. And they, they just worked in a, in a small club in Delaware. And the guy wrote to me after that visit and he said, that's the, that's the most special I've ever felt walking into, a, into an environment like that the way I was treated. And it wasn't set up. It was all natural. natural. That was the culture we created. Yeah. So that's important to me, creating that, creating that culture is really important. Um, and you got, you've got to live it. And it's the same here at Seattle. We've got, we haven't got a huge staff, um, but we've, we've created something, you know, pretty special. When you think of where we are and the, the, you know, the, the area that we're in, yeah. you know, we've got to, we've got to maximize our opportunities here because we're so, we're not so much we're not so much landlocked. We've got Hawaii, which is uh, the next place you know, over the over the ocean. Is that where you're going to go next? Another two and a half thousand miles that way. You're going to end up in Hawaii, aren't you, Gary? I can see you. Not a bad place to land, is it? <laughs> not a not a chance. You'll be in New Zealand by uh, in, in ten years' time. You're back in Liverpool, do the full circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's been good though. It's just been really fortunate and to come in, to come here. You know, it's, yeah. it's a stunning place to live. It's an absolutely beautiful place to live, and, and just what we've created here. With the, you know, and you think about you know you in the northwest of England, you can just drive everywhere. All the games yeah. we we do three games by bus here. Yeah, everything else is a flight. You know, we've only got Vancouver and Portland. That's it. Close to us. Everything else is like LA or Utah. You know, RSL places like that. We, play, we have to fly everywhere. It's fascinating. I, I talk about, I think the issues for me in the US game, and we, I've mentioned this to you in the past, is just the, the size the, the size of the country and I think kind of the lack of certain things in place, potentially, uh, whether it's kind of games programs, too sporadic, there's probably not enough quality kind of game, uh, game programs just within the States itself. And then again, all depending on what state you're in, again, that could be, uh, on, on a flight as well, if you, if you were in Texas, for example. But I think just from where we come from in the northwest of England, to, to where you've got potentially 40 professional clubs from Premier League to, to League One, oh, sorry, League Two, and all the other academies and so on, and, and you, you put that across to the US coaches, well, from one drive to one end of the city to the other end of the city in England, we actually fit in. 40 professional clubs and some of them clubs are Liverpool, Everton, Man United, Manchester City and, and then all the other surrounding clubs, your, your Blackburn, your Boltons and Burnleys and so on. It's, uh, it, it is kind of mesmerising for them to kind of 
understand that, just how uh, saturated and, and the, the level of quality in England. Do you think that's potentially something that holds back the game a little bit, Gary, in the US from kind of all angles, not just the, the youth, but also at the pro game, that there's maybe not more rivalry and com competition within the States themselves? But the, just that I've only worked at this level, so it's um, and it is extremely competitive. So you think about you know the battles we used to have in New York Red Bulls and then DC United, um, and then the local clubs PDA, and yeah. really really tough. It, it felt like a European environment. You know, it's, you go to New Jersey. I mentioned before about getting punched in the face. You know, that's what they like. They're just so desperate to do well against you. So that was that was really really competitive. And then here has been the same really. You know, up and down the, the West Coast, LA, LA Galaxy, LAFC, you know, you're playing against some, some really yeah. top talents. The, the, it's, it's more the issue for me, um, and when I first came over, when I first spoke to the players, they all wanted to go to college. So they were in a professional club, a Philadelphia Union, and they all wanted to go, go to college and go through the draft. That was because that's the American way. That's what they wanted. Um, the introduction of, and basically, the, so it used to go to under-19s and then to the first team. And nobody's really kind of solved this problem across the world just yet. But the introduction of the USL over here has been a game changer for me. It's been, yeah. it's been brilliant. And it's something we've got over Europe, something, that, something Europe can't really offer. So the players now can get a USL contract and go and play against men every week who are, who are trying to earn a living. You know, it's like it's like dropping down to like a League One or a League Two in England where you you have to fight. Yeah. You know, you've got a there's a guy trying to support his family that are playing against you. So that and like, and and fans in the stadium. So now they can actually feel it. You know, they can feel that. Wow, this I could actually be a professional soccer player. And then obviously your MLS contract then is a is is the next phase. But I can see there's there's a shift there's a shift going on lately. Where yeah. the college draft is pretty much gone now. The, the combine has been axed. There's no yeah. combine anymore um, because I think the the actual st the stats of you going to you go from an academy to college for four years and then coming back to the pro game, the the percentages are really low now of you actually doing your four years in college and coming back. Yeah, and again. Yeah. All depending on the quality of, of the players you kind of could have a really kind of successful academy journey going to the college, and all depending on your many different factors position, coach, your style of play, your, your, your player profile. As a, as a freshman, you might, not, you might not play many games yourself, and, and that, like a year with hardly playing, could be a, a critical factor of your kind of. Uh, development growth stumbling uh, and well, it's a three-month window as well they yeah. leave the three months you know and if you if you miss a few games in that period then you're done you know and you're looking at you know yeah. you're looking at 12 months of games over four years you just you're losing ground yeah so the players are tend to stick now i think we've got 12 i think it's about 12 professionals we've got here now that have come through the academy at oh, yeah. seattle there's, there's four as i said before there's four players in the first team at philadelphia union so the it's changing, the landscape's changing. Players want to be professionals now. That's good. And then, okay, so let's talk about Seattle Sounders, Gary. Um, obviously, a bit of a fresh, uh, obviously, job position for yourself, being in it now for is it close to a year. Uh, yeah, 10 months. Yeah. 10 months, yeah. Um, okay, so just tell us a little bit about, obviously, your position there, Gary, and a little bit about the, the club itself. 
the position I came in as the under 17s coach. Uh, Mark Nichols brought me in. He was, he was the academy director here. In fact, he was director of player development. That was his title. Um, he brought me in, and again, just a you know a fantastic guy who, who's who spent. He's a lifelong learner, Mark. You know, he's he's educated himself really well. Been across America and done done fantastic, and obviously produced something really special here with Seattle. Not only producing players, but Actually, winning along the way has been has been great. Uh, just to just to give that kind of culture, you know, like we we don't lie down. You know, it's uh, it's it's been good. We, um, we 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 keep we keep going in games regardless of the result. You know, that type of mentality. Where and and then Mark uh, got offered to go to Charlotte as the technical director at Charlotte's new MLS franchise. So I'd only spent about three or four months with him, and, and off he went. And then his position came up. So I interviewed with Garth Lagerway, our sporting director. Uh, and then what they did was they broke uh, Mark's job into two. So I, I got the academy director's position. And the guy from US Soccer, Henry Brawner, came in as director of player development. So the two of us pretty much um, you know, controlled the thing. But with the COVID-19 thing, I was only in position about three weeks and then this kicked in. So it's been an interesting start in my career as an academy director. Um, yeah. Just in, in terms of Seattle itself, um, it's very European on a match day. So if you remember um, when, when Cardiff used to hold the cup finals and the stadiums in the city and yeah. everyone's standing around the bars and all that, you know, and the atmosphere is amazing. That's what it's like here. The stadiums right in the city. Yeah. Um, or, or, yeah, it's just green everywhere, you know, the, our colours. And well, very passionate, a passionate fan base with Seattle. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. 50,000, 40 to 50,000 every game. Wow. Um, we had 70,000 for the MLS Cup final, which was just amazing, amazing feeling. And what they do is that on a match day, they all meet at a place called Pioneer Square uh, about 90 minutes before kickoff, and they all march to the stadium and they sing along. And it just, it's, it just reminds me of being back in, in Europe, you know, that feeling. Yeah. You, know, you don't really get much over here. There's not many clubs can actually, you know, the Atlanta are doing things really well. But we're in, we're in the top 20 of the biggest supporter clubs in the world. Yeah. You know, Atlanta are in the top 10. So again, yeah, US is changing. Yeah. I think that's a big one, isn't it, Gary? You, again, yeah, your fan base. You, obviously, I know a club can't control what type of fan base you're going to have. Uh, they can do certain things, but I think more than anything, you you want it to be authentic, don't you? You want it to be a, like a genuine, authentic, passionate fan base, and it sounds like Seattle has got that. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Honestly, it's a, on a match day, once this gets going again, as I say, forty to fifty thousand every game. It's, it's it's special, really special place to be. It's interesting as well, Gary, because Seattle's, am I right in saying, it's only 13 years old as a founded club itself. Um, is that right? They actually, they were formed in 1974. Um, and you would believe, like, Harry Redknapp was here at one point, and there's been, a, you know, yeah, it's amazing. Um, there's been a, a lot of people, like, over the years, they were like an, uh, an indoor soccer team and stuff, and then, and then obviously when the MLS kicked in, uh, it, it changed then. They were one of the founding members. Uh, but yeah, they've been around since 1974 in, in some capacity at Seattle Sounders. Right. So, well, current uh, MLS Cup champions. And so, obviously, with the first team standards being really, really high, Gary, um, obviously champions and so on, um, the expectations and standards, obviously, with the academy is such, um, I'm sure, is is got to be high as well because again your ultimate aim again, you know, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, is to to produce players good enough for the first team. 
So how, again, with the interaction then with the first team and the input of the, the first team staff with the academy, how much of that is uh, kind of with yourselves in terms of communications and, and how does it work? Yeah, just this this period has been great. This uh, this this period of lockdown has been great because we've been on a, on Zoom calls every week with the first team staff, okay. and we're just looking at the the game model and, um, and what they want. So it's again, I spoke about Pep and I spoke about Didier and, and the same with Brian Schmetter, our manager. You know, what do you want us to produce? And then it's it's important, and that we're all, all on the same page. So we instead of looking at them, we look at him. So. And it goes back to, I mean, even the education I got with Michael Beale and Alex Inglethorpe, even though, you know, looking back now, I could see what they were trying to do. They weren't trying to develop teams. It was They were trying to develop players. And I've got so much admiration for that, for that you know, the way they've, they've ingrained that in the club now. So that's, that's what we're, that's our, that's our business is, is player development. That's it. And it's just, it's, it's making sure that we, we, we maximise every single opportunity. So when you look at like uh, individual development plans, like what is that? So when that first came out, I was looking at, you know, can I improve your weak foot? That was, that was your individual development plan. Now it could be, it could be education, nutrition, uh, it could be the psychological side, it could be the technical, it could be even like defensive, anything like that, you know, what do we need to maximise this player's opportunity? To get into the first kicked into that as well, isn't it? Psychology plays a plays a huge part on that as well. In terms of, um, again, back in the day, you would just look at it from a uh, with the with the football filter kind of lens on, and just look at it for what it was in terms of just the football specifics. I think, like you just touched upon, Gary, so much more comes into play now, especially around the player refuse and the uh, individual uh, learning plans. Yeah, plus, I mean, I don't want to say that we're, we're totally data-based. You know, the, the coach's eye is still really important, but you've got to evolve. And, you've got to, and you know, I mentioned before about like key areas to score goals from. We've actually given the players some key performance indicators. So in their position, we've looked at um, all the best players in their position across the world. We've aggregated that into like a, a score. And then all we do then is look at the data from the game and see how far off you are in all the key areas, yeah. whether it's attacking, defending, transitions, you know, your passing, retention, your duel, how many duels did you win? You know, that type of stuff. Did you, your attacking duels, your defensive duels, your aerial duels? And we can start to look then, okay, so he's down on this, we need to help him with this. So yeah. it's just, again, just KPIs, which again goes back to business, but it still translates across the soccer. So uh, just to throw it at you then, Gary, so I'm sure a lot of it is connected with players in, uh, let's say, the academy player that you you're working with with obviously the the player that who's in the first team as well, not just kind of the best players in the world, but looking at the first team player and so on, and trying to match or potentially eclipse their kind of figures if possible. Yeah, it's important to be a sounder. You know, it's uh, it's it's got to be a good fit for us as well. Yeah, yeah, but um, you know, if we can if we can give Brian um, a player that's got the attributes that he needs, then it's just kind of okay. We've We've done our bit now. Off they go to you, you know. And that's that's all we can do. We just we've got to produce players that are that are acceptable and can actually survive in this field. Um, it's it's important. And sometimes they don't for a while. They might have to come back to us for a little bit. Where you know they, he says, well, okay, they're not quite right in this area. Let's just do a little bit more work in the academy with them. So that relationship's vital, you know, to get that right. Yeah. And as I say, if we just keep um, making sure that we. 
we can give the the tools for success to each player um, and obviously what he needs. You know, if we're producing slow right wingers, <laughs> he's going to be saying, "Well, you know, what are you doing?" <laughs> questioning, questioning the uh, player profiles and the academy and recruitment. Yeah, and it's the same with any club, isn't it? You know, the, um, you know, we've spoke a lot about Liverpool. And, you know, the, the players that they're they're trying to produce now have to fit Jurgen's model. They've got to they've got to work both sides of the ball. That's what he wants. If you're not willing to do that, and I I spoke to Ernst Tanner for the Delphi Union, who just he came in from uh, Red Bull Salzburg, and he said to the boys on his first day, uh, defending is a choice, and if you don't want to make that decision to defend, you will not be here much longer. Yeah. And and that's the same here. If you're not prepared to work hard now as a Sounders player, then you're not going to be a good fit for us. So that's the first kind of like that's the first one. That's the first block that they want to work on and off the ball for us. Simple, you know, and then you start looking at the technical attributes and then the physicality. What 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 physical profile do they need for that? And then we just bring in an expert and say, right, okay, this boy needs this. Yeah, his movement efficiency isn't right. Let's help him. Yeah, it's, it's, the, same, it's the same world over. Nothing's yeah. nothing's different. Yeah. So then, Gary, with you being in Kansas Seattle, and it sounds like a real passionate football or soccer city, um, and obviously being from a, a passionate football city yourself and so on how I'm sure obviously for the for the long haul project of the Academy of Seattle Sounders that it surely that's got to be massive for, for the younger generation or the next generation for potential players to come through your system uh, you know local local talent as well which we know is is always a nice thing to kind of bring through you through your system, uh, if you can bring in like a real local lad uh, that can again inspire the next generation, H- how is that then for for local talent in, in Seattle? And is, you know, is that something that's big on the uh, the academy's agenda? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's you know what it's like in most of these cities. If you get you get a homegrown talent into your first team, the, the, if they work hard, they're kind of forgiven by the fans, aren't they? Because they're yeah. desperate for them to do well, you know. It's the same here. We've got you know Jordan Morris in the first team here who's, who's flying. Um he he lives literally over the water from me here, um in Mercer Island. He's you know, he's US national team player and the, the fans just love him. And that's that's what we're trying to do here, is just produce some homegrown talent. Um it's obviously a lot cheaper, financially better. And then you know, if there's a potential return on investment, that's what we're looking for. You know, if they if they move on, uh, there may be um you know, there may be a sale. You know, involved in that for us as well. So it's it's from a business decision. It's important, and also from a homegrown talent and for the fan base. It's also important to get one of our boys on the field for the first team. It's the same everywhere. And then the pride. I mean, that's that's our business objective, isn't it? As an academy. Yeah. You know, although we've been successful in one thing, it's 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 important that we produce players. Otherwise, you know, what what we do? Definitely, Mason. I think obviously everyone, whether it's. A professional academy, or well, you would say a DA academy. The DA doesn't exist no more, but I think obviously every academy's mindset should be roughly the, the same. Um, you know, player player pathways, player journeys, passing the players on to the next best thing, whether it's at your club or whether it's somewhere else, and just having that sincere and honesty about the that goes back to the player. But uh, one last thing I'm going to throw at you, Gary, is so there's a big offence. In the US in 2026, uh, the World Cup. 
<laughs> so any any players potentially that you, you you've got in mind, and you don't have to name names. I wouldn't put any kind of pressure on yourself or that player in particular, but surely that's got to be a goal. I talk about it in presentations with Sheffield Leeds Academy that you know why not? Some of the things that we've seen in England and some of the players that we've seen a six or seven to to go on to do the ultimate within the game so far. You know why is it not an achievement to to do something like that to you know, produce and provide the US with, with you know, high-talented players for that World Cup? Yeah, I'm absolutely going to dodge this question. I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the priority for all of us, it's, and the, the priority of any club I've ever been at, it's always been the priority is to get them into our first team. That's our priority. And, and if they get the, you know, they, they get the little extras of international soccer, then, then great. Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I'm English or American. It doesn't matter for me. My my job is to produce Seattle Sounders players, and if we do that right, and then the the country you know, realise they've got a, a top talent, then you know, absolutely fantastic for us. When uh, when the U17s went to the World Cup last year, we had three players in that uh, from Seattle Sounders. So from you know, when you look at, when you look at the squad, to have to have three players in that in on that roster was was great for us. You know, um, and they they signed professional deals straight after that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's not it is really important for the country, but it's really important for us to produce Seattle Sounders players, and, and it was at Liverpool. And you know, we never looked at Trent Alexander-Arnold as a, you know, a future England player. We we looked at him as a future Liverpool and Champions League player. That was our priority. So yeah, so I'm not trying to dodge the question, but it's not something I can control. Yeah. No, listen, I was just throwing the grenade in there for you, Gary, on that one. But knowing that you had been a little bit around the, the US youth uh, uh, boys teams and so on. and But I think it's, again, I, it's, sometimes I, I don't realise that the US truly understands some of the talent that you've got. And I think some of the, the hurdles that are in the way is a little bit of the college system because mentality is college, 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 where I think some of these players are absolutely good enough to, to be playing in Europe. Again, the transfer system and FIFA regulations don't, and passports don't kind of help with that situation. But again, some of the players and that you come across in the US, you'd be thinking they, they could easily could hold their own and compete in Europe, no doubt. Yeah, but that's changing as well. You know, that's, it's, it's changing as in, you can still get the college offer. And yeah. that's the duty of care from us. You know, if we can produce some, and clubs talk about this all the time, producing good people. Yeah. We, we, you know, it's really important to us that, that we teach them the right ways and have the right mannerisms and the conduct and, and obviously the education is vital because they, you know, the percentages of being a pro player are, are limited. So they, it's just something we've got over Europe here where there's a couple of pathways for them. You know, if they don't quite make it at Seattle Sounders, they're going off to Division One colleges, yeah. you know, with scholarships. So again, from a, you know, just from a, a kind of a moral point of view, we're doing a great job from that point of view as well. I was always against it when I first came. I thought, no, you don't want to go to college. But no, you actually do. It's good for you to go to college, you know, um, if you're not quite at the level here. Well, it's a place for everyone. Yeah. Whereas if you fell away at 16, 17 in England, like, where are you going? You know, it's so difficult for them. They've got so, so many good pathways here. Yeah, and that's a, you've made a good point there with the England as well. You know, how many players come out the system in England, 16, 17, um, and, and want to continue, continue to chase the game? In England, and when I come over here, and I was like seeing the, the some of the college games and the attendances, and, and the, what the whole college kind of 
for the students, uh, athlete life is life. God, I'd be saying to players, go, go and try it in the States, go and give that a, an opportunity because again, education and and uh, and playing career potentially, it's, it's, it's massive. But again, you know, it's trying to tell someone who's trying to chase a contract in England, it's, it's a hard thing to do. But and uh, it's, it's amazing to see how many players that did go and chase the game over here, Gary, in England. And then three or four years later, have gone, well, I wish I would have went over to the States and, and give it a crack over there. Yeah. No, I say, it's, you know, the USL has been great. Um, the MLS has obviously gone from strength to strength. Uh, the you know the the retiring players used to come over here. It's not like that anymore. You know the younger players are coming, salaries are getting bigger. The the TV revenues coming in, and it's just it's it's a different different game altogether now. You know you look at you, know, you look at Atlanta now into Miami coming in, and and obviously Seattle Sounds has been a success. We've won the MLS Cup twice in the last four years, which is you know unbelievable achievement for this for this club. You know, um, and that that brings a pressure from us. You know, going back to that player development, mm-hmm. and it goes back to at Liverpool, we had to produce Champions League players. Yeah. It wasn't like we were producing Premier League players. And then you come here to Seattle, and we've got to produce Championship winning players. You know, they've, they've got to work into an environment where the club wins. Because that's, so that's where the club is, isn't it? That's the club standards. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's different. You know, the Philly was... Philly, we, we talked about uh, the academy being the engine that powers the first team. Yeah. So we, we were just getting players. But we only get like 15,000 fans in and, and not winning anything. Then you come here and it's a different pressure. There's now 50,000 fans and we win. We've got to produce players for that. So that the pressure accelerates that for all of us. Brilliant. And Gary, listen, I think we'll, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up there, mate. It's, uh, listen, I think for all our viewers and for all the listeners, and, and I think this has been a really good masterclass session uh, because we've had, obviously, a lot of discussion over, you know, stuff over in, in, in England stuff going on in the US so I think it's been a really kind of healthy kind of football masterclass session on, on talking about both sides of the Atlantic so Gary I really uh, really thank you for your time mate uh, it's, it's a pleasure to catch up with you again uh, look forward to seeing you in person once uh, this kind of travel bans over and potentially we can uh, kind of catch you up on uh, on the state side and, and uh, see some of the work that you're doing in, in hands but uh, thanks a lot Gary and uh, thanks to all the listeners and all the watchers uh, taking the time out to, to watch the Seven Elite Academy on last, online masterclass sessions. Thank you.